We are headed towards Colossians 1. Excited to be there in God's Word with you this morning. So um, if you're turning back there to Colossians 1, and I'm going to pray, and then we'll dive in. Holy Spirit, you are real, and you are here right now. And so I pray that you would please empower your word to do its work in our hearts. And I pray that you would do um, everything you want to do um, with these words from you um, this morning. I pray for those who might be here this morning who um, don't trust in Jesus and in the good news about him. I pray that today you would call them to faith to respond to the good news um, with trust and reliance. Um, I pray you would do a good work in our hearts who know you, um, that today you would make us more like Christ. Um, we know that he told us that your mission, Holy Spirit, is um, to point to Christ, to, to show us him, to reveal truth that is specifically about him. And so I pray even as we look at this passage um, that you have breathed out to us, I pray that today, Holy Spirit, you would, um, you would change us. Um, we want to hear from you, O oh God, uh, and so I pray that you would help me be faithful to the words that are here and help us um, all to respond with obedience um, to this passage, um, help us to understand it, and help us to be able to, to live it out. So um, we all need your help right now as we come to your word. So we pray for that grace in Jesus' name. Amen. If, uh, if you're a parent and you have uh, younger kids, or maybe you just happen to be somebody who likes Pixar movies, uh, then you're probably familiar with the classic movie Cars, all right? And uh, in, the, in the movie Cars, there's this little town called Radiator Springs. And uh, Radiator Springs used to be a booming, bustling town until along came this freeway. And the freeway completely skipped Radiator Springs, uh, and, and the, that little town of Radiator Springs just shrunk and shrunk and shrunk until the only people left in it were these kind of unusual characters. Um, and, and the movie Cars is um, about what happens with, with that town and the hero of Cars, Lightning McQueen. And, and really, that town, Radiator Springs, went from popular to virtual obscurity. Uh, and when we head to the book of Colossians, we're actually heading to, uh, to a town that is remarkably similar actually, to Radiator Springs, which you probably never thought someone was going to say about a place in the Bible, right? Um, the, town of, the town of Colossae, the, the, where the Colossians live, where, where Paul, is, Paul is writing to, uh, it used to be a booming town. Uh, it was on one of the largest roads uh, in the Roman Empire, um, what became the Roman Empire. But, but even before the time of Christ, three and four centuries before Christ came, this was a giant major town. But what happened is they changed the road system. And, and that what was a large road that went right through Colossae, went down through Laodicea, and, and suddenly Colossae was basically off the map. And, and in those years leading up to Christ's coming and even after, this town that used to be big and bustling, it, it shrunk and it dwindled and it, it went down the next to nothing. Um, it became this backwoods, um, backwater town um, that hardly anybody knew about. And now Paul is writing a letter to the people who lived here. Because what had happened over time is that eventually the gospel had made it to Colossae. So even though Paul had never made it, um, the gospel did. So we have a map here. Um, maybe your maps are one of those unused sections uh, in, in your Bibles. But I wanted to show you this even as we get started in the book of Colossians. Even as a reminder that what we're talking about in the town of Colossae and we read in the book of Colossians, this is a real place with real people. Uh, and so up on our map you can see that Colossae is actually in what is now modern day Turkey. 
right? A lot of, a lot of our epistles happen in, in what, is, what is now Turkey. So you can see, um, sort of, maybe you can see it. There's, there's Greece um, off to the left. You can see Syria. Um, a lot in the news about Syria right now, right? Um, kind of below Turkey. But there's Colossae. Inside that, that red circle um, is the town of Colossae that had, that had essentially dwindled. And, and on Paul's missionary journeys, he actually never made it to this town of Colossae. And yet others had and had given the gospel. And they have brought a report um, back to Paul. And now Paul pens this letter to the Colossians. Uh, and so we're going to read the first couple of verses to get us back, um, back into it. As Paul is writing to these Colossians, um, he is really wanting them to learn what it means to live in the knowledge of God. And in the verses we're going to look at this morning, um, he wants them to grasp the idea that gospel living knowledge and strength come from God, and therefore they should pray. And that's our main point this morning as well. Gospel living, knowledge and strength come from God, therefore pray. So it starts out, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. We're not totally sure um, when Paul wrote this. We, we do know that he's in prison. Um, where and when, we're, we're not an, entirely sure. Um, but this, this church that began in Colossae, uh, it probably started um, after Paul's third missionary journey. Um, because we find out that the, the main evangelist and pastor there at Colossae was a man by the name of Epaphras, um, and he was converted on Paul's third missionary journey. All right, so some, sometime um, after Paul's third missionary journey, this, this, this church has, has begun to grow, and now Paul addresses them, and he calls himself an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. All right, so here's, here's Paul writing to people that have never seen him face to face. Right? They've never sat underneath his ministry. They've only heard from other people who had learned from Paul. Um, and so he introduces himself. He says, I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus. I'm a messenger of Christ Jesus. And notice he says, by the will of God. Right? Paul didn't make himself an apostle. He's not self-designated an apostle. He says, by the will of God, I am an apostle. And he also says, uh, Timothy, our brother. So Timothy was Paul's faithful co-worker, his son in the faith. Um, it's interesting that even as an apostle, um, Paul was never the lone ranger, right? You see him all throughout the New Testament with a team um, and, and recognizing those team members. And so he says, um, Paul and Timothy, our brother, and he calls them, the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. All right? Saints being a designation for anyone who has responded in faith to Christ, who's been set apart. He calls them saints and faithful brothers. Uh, it's really interesting to me, even as we think about that introduction, um, what can we see from an introduction? That's always something um, that I feel like we need to stop because we can kind of gloss over verse number one, right? Uh, verse number one is one of those, one of those throwaway verses um, right? And we would never say that aloud. Um, but there are some verses in the Bible that we just think, ah, there's probably not a whole, I mean, what, what's the point? Um, and, and I just want to remind you, um, as we study our scriptures, as, as we ask what God has for us, it's amazing to me that so much of our Bibles come to us in story. The vast majority of our Bible is a story, it's narrative, but it all comes in the form of relationships, right? And so Paul's writing to these people, um, and he calls them saints and faithful brothers, and throughout Colossians, he's going to talk about how dear they are and how important they are and that relationship. And if you stop and think about it, we wouldn't have the book of Colossians apart from Paul wanting this relationship um, with, with the believers at Colossae. All of our Bible comes to us in the context of relationship, 
because God is a relational God, and he has a message that he wants to give to these particular people that in turn affects all of us. And, and that's why I even wanted to show you the map, and I want you to think about this. This is a real letter to real people who are really going through life experiences. And, and even, even their experience as a town that's dwindling is going to have an impact on how they're receiving the gospel, and you'll even see that in the verses we look at this morning. So these are real people getting a real letter, and it is really a message from God. Because listen to what Paul says at the end of verse 2. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father. And that's another one of those remarkable, unremarkable expressions, right? Um, what you see Paul doing right here is claiming to speak for God, right? He, he's coming to Colossians and saying, I can communicate a message from God to you. Paul is claiming to give direct revelation and, and the message that God wants to give the Colossians is grace and peace. That's, that's what God wants the Colossians to know. You have, you have my favor that you don't deserve, and you have peace. And, and, and as the book is going to go on, he's going to continue to give them grace and peace in the words that he gives. And, and so just with this introduction, I, I just want us to remember these are real people in a real situation that God is really speaking to at a real moment in history. And if we're going to get to meaning for us, we've got to be able to put ourselves back into this context, into this situation, and say, what were they supposed to learn from this? What were they supposed to come away with from these real words that were from God? And I think what you're going to see in verses 1 through 14 uh, is, that, is that gospel living comes from God, and knowledge comes from God, and strength comes from God. And the result of those realities is that we should pray. If those things are true, then we should be praying. All right, let's see how Paul um, teaches the Colossians that and us that. In verse number three, he says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. I think all of those verses point us to this idea that gospel living comes from God. All right, Paul, Paul starts out by saying, we always thank God. And that's an expression of, of prayer. He says, we, we always thank God. What, what is it that could make the Apostle Paul constantly grateful and and paul says he's constantly grateful because the colossians are living according to the gospel that's the short way of saying all the rest of those verses where there's lots of, of phrases within the rest of that of those verses that we read right but to sum it all up paul says i'm thankful because you're living out the gospel that you have received okay he says we always thank god and he calls god the father of our lord jesus christ Right? Just a little side note on the Trinity right there. Um, a, a lot of us, when we, when we say God, we typically mean God the Father. Right? Um, sometimes we mean God the Son, sometimes we mean God the Holy Spirit. But it's common for us, to, when we say God, to mean the Father. And that's even exemplified for us here in Paul. He, he says God, and then specifically, he's the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So when you think about God, you think about him as Father, Son, and, and Holy Spirit. Right? But he's the Father, and he's the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? We don't say God's the Father of the Holy Spirit. Right? Because when we, when we call God Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we're talking about how they relate. Right? It's not as if God birthed the Son. 
but he relates to the son as father to son, right? Um, and so he's the father, and he's the father of our, notice Paul is connecting himself to the Colossians, of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, we're thankful when we pray for you, and why? What is it that Paul is thankful for? On well, verse number four, he says, we're th- we always are thankful since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Faith and love are the two primary marks of a genuine Christianity. Right? You want to know what a genuine Christian looks like? It looks like somebody who believes in Jesus Christ, who has their trust and their faith in him and in him alone, and it looks like somebody who has love for all of the saints. Right? And both those marks, um, those, are, those are two parallel marks of every genuine believer. Every genuine believer is going to have faith in Christ, and they're going to have love, and it even says they have love for all the saints. Um, reminiscent of what Jesus said, right? When he said, this is how the whole world will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. So these two marks, um, the Colossians had them. And, and Paul says, we heard of your faith in Christ and of the love you have for all the saints. And, and that's probably that hearing he probably heard from Epaphras, right? So Epaphras had helped start this church and then he came and made a report to Paul. And what, what made Paul thankful is that there was a group of people that had faith in Christ and they had love for the saints. You might ask, well, where did this faith and this love come from, though? And the answer is that they had a hope laid up for them in heaven. So it says, I'm thankful because of your faith and love. And that faith and love came from, verse number five, because of, why did they have faith and love? Because of the hope that was laid up for them in heaven. Because of the hope laid up for them in heaven. It's interesting, um, and, and I think a point that we we need, to, we need to dwell on is that, is that our understanding of our hope in heaven, our understanding of eternity, our understanding of what happens next after this life is supposed to have profound impact in the here and now, right? Um, your understanding of what your hope is in is supposed to change how you live because the hope the Colossians had in heaven, it drove them to faith and love. And aren't you glad that, that your hope isn't on something down here on earth Right? Think, about, think about everything that's broken in our world down here. And think about, as you even look at, even at our global world, um, whether, you understand, whether you're thinking about the terrorism that, that's happened around the world, whether you look at the state of morality, whether that's in America or, or in other countries, you look around the world and you go, it's kind of bleak out there, right? Um, you, you look at sin that is just prevalent and that's even legal in our country. and it, it, There's problems everywhere. Right? And, and if what drove you was the here and the now, you would be a pretty miserable person. And doesn't that describe most of the unbelieving world, right? Hopeless, um, have little to live for, going from moment to moment, hoping they can find something enjoyable, looking for, looking for a shred of happiness here and a shred of happiness there. Right? Paul says your, your hope, Colossians, is in heaven. And that hope in heaven led you to faith in Christ and, and love for others. How did they hear about this hope of heaven? Where did, where, did that, where did that concept come from that they had hope that was laid up in heaven? That they had something worth living for beyond this life, beyond the here and the now? And, and the answer is they heard about that from the gospel. And that's why I say this is about gospel living. And that gospel living comes from God. Because notice the Colossians didn't have faith in love because they self-generated it. 
right? They didn't just reach down within themselves and, and, and believe that they could find a better day, right? They didn't just believe in themselves so they could achieve. Um, they weren't just loving because that was a nice thing for them to do um, or, or because their parents were nice, loving people, right? They had faith and love because of their hope that was in heaven, but their hope that was in heaven came to them God gave it to them through the gospel. Notice it says, of this you have heard before, that hope in heaven, verse number five, of this, of this hope in heaven you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. Isn't that a great way to describe the gospel? The gospel is the word of the truth. There's a lot of things we can learn about the gospel in this passage, but that's one of the great ones as as he names what the gospel is. The gospel is the word of the truth. Look, if you believe in the good news about Jesus Christ, you believe in the word that is true. It's not something that's false. It's not something that's made up. It is true. The good news about Jesus Christ is true, and it can give you a hope in heaven that will change how you live in the here and the now. So um, they heard about this word of truth before, the gospel, and notice he says, this gospel has come to you. Right? This gospel which has come to you. Of all the things that weren't coming to Colossae, of all the trade that wasn't coming there, of all the money that wasn't coming there, of all the tourists that weren't coming there, uh, of a town that was shrinking and dwindling, of all the things that weren't coming to Colossae, the most important thing in the world did. The gospel came to them, right? They, They didn't go and find the gospel. God had brought the gospel to them. He had reached out to them and he had sent them the gospel. And even though, again, Paul had never visited the Colossae, he wanted uh, to encourage them that what they had believed and what they had heard about the gospel was a universal truth. It wasn't just this weird backwoods thing that they heard. This was something that was universally true. He says that, that you have believed in the, the gospel, the word of truth. It's come to you. And then he says it's not just come to you in verse 6, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing. Right? Again, try to put yourself back in Colossae, um, a people that are cut off maybe from the rest of the Roman Empire. Um, they don't know what's going on in, in the rest of the world. And Paul says, hey, the gospel came to you, but it's not just you. This gospel is bearing fruit all across the world. Colossians, you are part of something that is much bigger than just you. You are part of a belief that is, that is, that is happening all across the world as people are trusting in the gospel. And that trust, notice it says, in the whole world, it See, we're still talking about the gospel, right? In the whole world, the gospel is bearing fruit and it's increasing. The gospel is powerful. The gospel is designed to have effects. The gospel is designed to bear fruit and it's designed to increase. When it does, there's gospel living that flows out of it. One of the reasons the Colossians could know that they had believed the true gospel is that it was bearing fruit in them as well. Right? And so Paul is encouraging them. The message you heard was not just something that Epaphras had cooked up. This isn't like some weird cultish thing. Um, this is a message that is true. Uh, and it's a message that, will, that is bearing fruit in you and in lots of other people. And, and so when Paul saw that there was this gospel living, that the gospel was bearing fruit and increasing, he says, as it also does among you, he's thankful for that. And even in there, there's a lesson for us as well, right? What are you thankful for in your prayer time? Because what Paul is thankful for is that the gospel was bearing fruit and increasing, right? And now I know it's not Thanksgiving anymore. I mentioned this to, to somebody that the Sunday after Thanksgiving, um, I was talking with the kids and we were talking about things that they were thankful for. And then I said, well, wait a second. 
So it's not Thanksgiving anymore, so nobody needs to be thankful anymore. You don't need to think about what you're thankful for. That was just for, for Thanksgiving, right? Um, when you're in Thanksgiving mode, and it's already been far enough away that maybe you're already out. You know what I mean? Like you're in that Thanksgiving mode. Maybe you're jotting notes down of things you were thankful for, and um, I hope that's a constant habit for us, but sometimes uh, it's not. Um, this, is, this is an important question for us. Could we say that in our prayer life, something that we give thanks to God for is when we see the gospel bearing fruit and increasing? is something that we ought to be grateful for. We ought to be looking for the gospel doing work around us and doing work in us, right? It's doing both those things. He says it's an increasing in the world, and it's also doing that among you. And that's happening among us too, right, Grace Church? The gospel is changing you, and you're living that out with faith in Christ and love towards others, right? So it's causing belief in, in God's word and in God, and it's causing love for other people. And that ought to be bearing fruit. It ought to be increasing. That ought to be a mark of our church is genuine faith and, and, and genuine love for others around us. Um, and when it does, that's something to be thankful for, whether that's in your life, that's in the life of your family, that's in, the, in, in our church life. Something we should be looking out for is the gospel bearing fruit and increasing. So gospel living is supposed to flow out of the gospel. Um, our gospel living comes from understanding the good news of Jesus Christ. And he says, um, this gospel came to you, it's bearing fruit, it does among you. He says, since the day you heard it and you understood the grace of God in truth. That's another way of describing the gospel, right? The gospel is the grace of God in truth. Isn't that a gorgeous description of what the gospel is? It's God's grace in truth form. So if you want to know, if you want to experience the grace of God, then run to the gospel because it's true. And it is God's grace in truth form, right? And he says that it, once you understood that, you, you heard it, you understood it, um, that came from a messenger, notice he says, verse number seven, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. Uh, there's Paul giving his apostolic weight of a recommendation of Epaphras. And he says, he's our beloved fellow servant. And he's going to go on to, to he's, not just, he's not just propping up Epaphras. He's not just saying things to be nice to him. Um, again, the Colossians, didn't have a lot of context for Christianity. They didn't have a lot of context for Epaphras. And now here's Paul, the leading apostle, saying, this guy is a faithful brother. Um, he's, got my, he's got my recommendation. He's, he, he's reliable. He says, he's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he's made known to us your love in the Spirit. So there's that Paul had, Epaphras had reported to Paul about their love, right? And so Paul says, this guy came. He's a beloved fellow servant. He's a faithful minister. And that's how you heard the gospel. Right? Because the gospel is news, right? The gospel is news. It's information. It's information to be shared, right? And, and so Epaphras was the one who shared the gospel. And the gospel is the grace of God in truth. And the gospel is the word of the truth. And, and that word of truth that came to Colossae, it caused life change. It caused faith. And it caused love for all of the saints. And so gospel living comes from God. It comes from his gospel, Right? But not only does gospel living come from God, Paul's going to go on to say that knowledge is what comes from God. So look in, look in verse number 9. He says, And so, from the day we heard, again, he's probably talking about the day that Epaphras came and, and talked to them, talked to him. He says, From the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. All right? In verse number 3, he said we were always thankful. And what always made him thankful was the gospel living that the Colossians had. Now he's going to say, we don't stop to pray for you. And so just like we get a window into what is important to Paul and what he gives thanks for, we're also going to get a window into um, what is important by what he asks for, right? Because Paul says, I'm always thankful, and what I'm always thankful for is gospel living. But what I'm always asking for are really two things. He says, number one, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, 
That's the first thing Paul asked for. And the second is in verse number 11, may you be strengthened with all power. All right? What Paul asked for is knowledge and strength. So let's look at knowledge first of all. He says, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. It takes wisdom and it takes understanding to know God's will. Notice he says, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of his will. How? In all spiritual wisdom and in understanding. This is what Paul wanted for the Colossians. He said, I want you to know the will of God. And and how you need to know that will is in spiritual wisdom and it is in understanding. Spiritual wisdom and understanding do lead to action. When, when you talk about wisdom, we're talking about skill in living or, or skill in action. And, and he, what Paul's going to say is, if you know God's will and you know that and you have spiritual wisdom to understand God's will and, and you can understand that, then what that will lead to in verse number 10 is walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. Right? This is extremely practical knowledge of God's will leads to right living, right? So he says, we have not stopped praying that you would be filled. Not just have a little bit, but he says, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. When it comes to spiritual wisdom and understanding, those things have to come from God. Otherwise, we're left on our own. And what we're going to find out later in the book of Colossians is that there were all these competing philosophies that were coming to Colossae. There were all these different ideas There was plenty of different religious concepts that that were in Colossae. There was plenty of philosophy. And Paul is concerned for them. He's concerned that there will be some other um, knowledge, some other religion that will pull their attention away from the gospel, away from Jesus Christ. And so he says, my prayer for you constantly is you'd be filled with the knowledge of God's will, right? Um, There's lots of competing knowledge in our world too, right? There's lots of concepts that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and says, don't believe what the Bible says about God, believe something else. We need this prayer to be prayed for us as well, that we would be filled with the knowledge of God's will, right? Uh, Because we need the spiritual kind of wisdom and the understanding that leads, verse number 10, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Man, what what a high calling to walk, to live in a manner worthy of the Lord. If you are filled with the knowledge of God's will, then it is possible for you to live in a manner worthy of the Lord. And... And that's an amazing statement. Do you see what he goes on to say? Because, because I think we, we might wonder, is he exaggerating a little bit here? Because look at what he says. He says, I, I, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of, uh, of his will, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Does that sound a little too idealistic to you? Does that sound a little, a little out there? Because he, he says that, that if you are filled with the knowledge of his will, then you can walk in a manner worthy of him and be fully pleasing to God. All right? Now, maybe you, maybe you go the other way, but I don't know that there have been many times in my life where I've ever thought, oh, I am so glad that right now I am fully pleasing to God. Uh, I am so glad that I got it down. I'm good to go. I am pleasing to him in every way. Right? In fact, um, like me, you might go the other way. And there's times like when I read the Psalms and David talks about, I have loved your law and I'm a perfect man. And I go, ooh, like, man, that's, that's kind of bold. That's kind of gutsy. Can, can he really say that? Can he really say, um, God, you, you test me and you try me. You know that I'm righteous. You know that, I, you know that I'm right. Um, this verse says, 
that we can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord and be fully pleasing to him. Right? We can bear fruit in every good work and we can increase in the knowledge of God. That's, that's bold. That's big. Uh, and that needs to not be too big for understanding of the gospel. Right? Because if, if we read words like that and, and, and we say, um, there's just no way I can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. He's too perfect. He's, he's too good. Um, there's no way I could be even sort of pleasing. My, my goal is just to be kind of pleasing to him, let alone fully pleasing to him. And, and forget bearing fruit in every good work. I just want to do one good thing right. right? If, if that's our understanding, if that's the state of our, our Christianity, I think, I think we've misunderstood. We haven't dwelt enough in the power and the goodness of the gospel. Right? Um, the gospel is powerful enough to change you from being a sinner who is dead to God to giving you new life. The gospel is powerful enough to cause you to want to obey and then have the ability to obey, right? Because Philippians would tell us it is God who is at work in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. You see, knowledge, to know God's will and then to live it out and the strength to do it, it comes from God, right? It would be really bad news for you if this morning I said, um, you need to walk fully pleasing to God. Now get out there and, and get going on that. You need to start working a lot harder because that's, man, that's, a, that's, a pretty big, that's a pretty big standard. So here's your 10 steps to being fully pleasing to God and, and now go get it, right? But that's not what Paul's telling the Colossians, right? There's not a single command in all of these verses in 1 through 14, right? He's not commanding them, go figure out how to be fully pleasing to him. He says, when you know God's will, when the gospel has changed you, you now have the ability to be fully pleasing to him. If you know his will, that knowledge can lead you to right action, and, and you can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. But that ability, that knowledge, again, it's, it's important for us to recognize what Paul is saying is it comes from God. That's not self-knowledge. That's not self-ability. He says the knowledge of God's will, it comes from him. And that's why I'm asking that this is what would happen. You'd be filled with the knowledge of his will so that you can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Look, God doesn't give us even commands in the Bible in order to taunt us. Or, or, or to say, nanny, 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 you can never do it, right? Um, the, the new law, the law of the New Testament is intended to be obeyed, right? God gives us commands and then he graciously gives us the desire to follow those commands and he gives us the ability. Unlike the Old Testament, which nobody could ever keep and nobody could ever live up to that, we now have the Holy Spirit inside us. We, we have the gospel that enables us to do what God has commanded us to do. So there is, there is good news for the Colossians that if, if they will be filled with the knowledge of his will, then they can live in a manner worthy of the Lord. That doesn't mean they're going to be perfect, and it doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect, but you can live in a way that is worthy of the Lord that you serve. And you need to be encouraged this morning. And maybe, maybe you are discouraged for whatever reason in your own Christian walk, and you're going, I just, man, I do not feel worthy of the Lord. Um, Listen, you can pray and ask God to give you the knowledge of his will that will lead you to the kind of wisdom that leads to living that is worthy of the Lord, right? We're not saying that that's easy. We're not saying um, that there's no effort involved, but the knowledge of God's will leads you to right kind of living. It says, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work. Isn't that your desire? You say, I want my good works to bear fruit. I, I want to do things that matter for eternity, I, want to, I don't want to just do them. I want them to bear fruit. I want, them, I want there to be, be success in, in what I do. I want to bear fruit. And, and he says you can bear fruit in every good work and you can increase in the knowledge of God. All right? There is, 
there is encouragement from Paul to the Colossians that this is what comes from God. The knowledge of his will comes from God. And, and once we have this knowledge from him, then we can be fully pleasing to him. All right? Now, if you're thinking that still sounds out of reach, then you need to be encouraged by the last point of today's message and by the last point of Paul. Because what he says is gospel living comes from God and knowledge comes from God. But you know what else comes from God? Strength comes from God. Look at verse number 11. He says, may you be strengthened with all power. Aren't we going to need that if we're going to be fully pleasing to him and, and if we're going to bear fruit in every good work, aren't you aware that you need a power outside of yourself? You need a strength that's bigger than your strength. You need something more than just reach down by your own bootstraps and make yourself a better Christian, right? You need God to be the one who gives you strength. And so Paul says, that's what I'm asking for. May you be strengthened with all power. You see, Paul is, Paul is just like he said, fully pleasing in every good work. He's now saying all power. Right? So just like the fully pleasing in every good work, like that seemed like a big giant thing, notice how much power is available to you. All power, he says. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Right? I'm so glad that it doesn't say according to his glorious might and you provide a little bit of, of it yourself. Right? Because um, when you think about how strong you are and you think about how much might you have, um, we're not so glorious and we don't have so very much might. But he says that, that I want you to be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. And that's a lot of might. That's a lot of strength. Um, think about Mount Sinai. Uh, I wasn't able to be in uh, Scott, Scott Booker's Sunday school class this morning, but we've been in Exodus. And he's been talking about the incredible power that was on display at Mount Sinai as God came to give the law. And this mountain shook and there was thunder and lightning and fire. And if the Israelites even touched the mountain, they would die right? And Moses and Joshua and the elders are the only ones that are allowed to be on the mountain. And then only Moses is allowed to go to the top of the mountain to meet with God. There was power on display at Mount Sinai. Look, God's power is available to you, right? Think about the glorious might of God that was revealed at Jesus' transfiguration, where just for a moment, a little bit of that glory seeped through, and, and the, the disciples fell down like they were dead in front of him. Right? There was this moment of glory where they got just a little window into the, the glory of God. Think about, think about the resurrection day. You want to think about how much power God has? Remember the resurrection day that we celebrate this Sunday and every Sunday. We think about Jesus coming back from the dead. That's the kind of power that God has, power to raise the dead. And what Paul says is, I want you, I'm praying for you that you'll be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. If you are feeling weak, if you are not feeling strong, then remember how much might that God has that you don't. That's the kind of strength that, that we need to live a life that is pleasing to God, and that's what we have in Christ. All right, so he says, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. And, and notice, what are you going to be strengthened for? For all endurance and patience with joy, right? This is, this is what we should be aiming at. We should be aiming at endurance and joyful patience. Endurance, the ability to, 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 to carry on, to persevere, right? Um, endurance, whatever, I, and, and even in this room this morning, there is no doubt a variety of, of life circumstances that right now are taxing your endurance. Like right now you're thinking, I'm not sure I can just keep going on this way. I'm not sure this family situation can stay this way for much longer because I'm running out of 
I'm running out of energy. I'm running out of spiritual care. I'm, I'm so frustrated with this. I'm not sure I can continue in this financial situation. I can't do it. Like, I, I can't keep living this way. And what, what God has for us is, is might and power that we can have endurance, that we can carry on, right? And the mark of every true believer is someone who perseveres in the faith. And that's a, that is a perseverance that can only come from God providing that to you, right? We need endurance in doing what's right. You, you think about the New Testament telling us to not grow weary in well-doing. Do you know why we need to be told that? Because we do grow weary in well-doing. It's tiring, right? So moms and dads, you've been, you've been disciplining that little kid over and over and over again, and you're just tired of it. What, am I ever going to get out of this stage where it's just constantly... I just over and over again just feel like I'm disciplining and disciplining and disciplining and I don't want to endure. Endure with the might from God, right? It's those kind of practical things that Paul says, I want you to be strengthened with God's might for you to be able to do. For all endurance. And then he says, patience, like that's not big enough. Like couldn't you have just left it there, Paul? He doesn't. He says, I want you to be strengthened with, for patience with joy, right? Um, but patience is is... And that's not one of those, one of, one of those things you want to ask, ask for God to give you, right? Because then he does it. And like patience is hard. It's hard for us to wait. Um, I just want to tell you right now that, that the, the Christmas presents underneath my family's Christmas tree, they're not going to make it to Christmas Day, right? So I'm sorry for all of you that that's like heresy. But um, those presents are getting opened before Christmas Day because we don't have that kind of patience uh, to wait for Christmas Day. Um, but on a much more serious note, um, there are things in life that demand our patience, that we need to, to wait for. But, but notice this is not just an Eeyore kind of patience that goes, oh, life is terrible. I'm gonna ha- I, got, I just have to put up with this. That's not what Paul, that's not the kind of might that God supplies. It's not grit your teeth and like I'm just going to have to hang on. He says, I'm praying that you would have endurance and patience with joy. Joyful patience. That can be yours. And you go, now you're talking crazy talk. Like it's hard enough to be patient. Now you're telling me that I can have joyful patience? Look, you can only have that if it comes from God. If he's the one who strengthens you with his might so that you can endure and be joyfully patient. That is a, that is a divine thing, not something you can well up within yourself. All right, so, so he's praying. I want you to be strengthened with the power that comes from God for endurance and patience with joy. And, and notice he says, here's what should be happening while you are enduring, while you are being joyfully patient. Verse number 12, he says, giving thanks to the Father. Being thankful, giving thanks to the Father. Why, why should we be thankful to the Father? What has he done? And, and as Paul ends this section, he's going to give us reasons to give thanks to the Father. And, and really, there's at least three main ones um, that we're going to see in verses 12 through 14. So wh- why should you give thanks to the Father? Well, number one, Paul says, he has qualified you, and it's probably qualified us, but he has qualified you to share and the inheritance of the saints in light. You can be thankful, and without making light of whatever difficult circumstance you're in where you're needing to endure, and and however hard it is for you right now to have joyful patience, um, you can be thankful right now because no matter what your circumstance is, Christian, God the Father has qualified you for an inheritance that's waiting for you. You don't have this, and inheritance is not something you have right at, right at this exact moment. It's something you're, something you're, you're going to get. But, but he says, God is the one who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Notice it's God is the one who has done this. 
He's the one who has qualified you. That's a really interesting word that's only used one other time in our New Testament um, when Paul uses it in 2 Corinthians 3, 6. Um, and he says that God is the one who has made us sufficient to be ministers of the new covenant. Right? He was saying that God, God is the one who has made us capable um, to, to be ministers. God is, God is the one who has made this possible. Right? And God the Father is the one who has made it possible for you to have an inheritance that didn't belong to you. God is the one who has qualified you. You are able, and be encouraged by this good gospel news this morning, Christian, you are able to share and in the inheritance of the saints in light. What we have in the gospel is something that is corporate and shared, right? And, and even though we are all individuals, Paul is constantly reminding us that what we have as Christians is a corporate reality. Remember I said at the beginning that this is relational. God is a relational God. This is a relational letter. What we have in the gospel is something that we share with others, and what we share is this inheritance of the saints in light. Paul talks about this great inheritance in other places too. And maybe even if you want to look at these passages later, you can jot these down. Um, Acts 26, 17 and 18. Um, as Paul is recounting his, his conversion, um, this is what Paul says God said to him on that Damascus road. Rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things which you have seen me. Um, which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. And listen to verse number 18. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Right? There is an inheritance that is shared among the saints. It is it is a place among those who are sanctified, who are set apart by faith in Christ. In Ephesians 1, um, there's a whole section in Ephesians 1. I won't take the time to read it now, but again, you can look at this later, um, where Paul is, is praising God for the glory of his grace that gives us this incredible inheritance. It says uh, in verse 13, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, there it is again, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with a promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Your inheritance is guaranteed because you have the Holy Spirit, right? And Paul's not the only one who talks about this inheritance. Peter does as well in 1 Peter 1.3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. The Father has qualified you to have an eternal salvation. And that's a reason to give him thanks, but it's not the only reason. He says, he has qualified you. Secondly, in verse number 13, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and he's transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. He's done two, two actions in verse 13. Number one, you've been delivered. You've been, you've been rescued, you've been spared, and you've been spared from what he calls the domain of darkness, right? From the clutches of Satan himself, you have been rescued, you have been delivered. There is a kingdom that is described as a kingdom of darkness, and it has a ruler who even now is allowed, he's given some latitude even within this earth, right? Satan has no power that God doesn't allow him to have, but he does have a kingdom, and you've been rescued from that kingdom. Have you, have you felt the significance of you being delivered? 
I don't know if you've ever been rescued um, from a serious situation. Um, if, and if, we, if you have been, then you would connect to this idea of salvation um, really well. Uh, on April 8th in 2009, there was a ship named the Mirsk, Alabama, and it was about 200 miles off the Somali coast, and it was boarded by pirates. Um, in fact, uh, I... I have seen the movie adaptation of that with the Phelans, right? Um, and so uh, it was boarded by pirates, and its captain, Richard Phillips, was taken hostage um, by the pirates. And, and maybe you remember the story. Uh, the, the pirates, uh, as they brought their boat alongside, the Alabama was swerving back and forth. And can you call a ship swerving? I don't know what the right... It was going back and forth and actually swamped and sunk the pirate ship. And so they, the pirates got on board, they got Captain Phillips, but the rest of the crew managed to overcome one of the other pirates and hold him as a hostage from the pirates who had the captain hostage. So he had like a double hostage situation, and they agreed to trade. We'll give you your pirate back if you give us the captain back. Uh, and, and so the pirates said, okay, great, let's, let's make that trade. Only when the crew gave the pirate back, uh, the pirates said, nope, sorry, we're keeping the captain. They jumped on a lifeboat, so now there's four pirates and Captain Phillips in a lifeboat. Uh, so along comes the uh, U.S. Uh, Navy destroyer uh, called the Bainbridge, and, and so there was a three-day standoff um, between this Navy destroyer and this little 30-foot lifeboat. Um, and so it had four pirates on it. They managed to convince one of the pirates to, to get on, to get on, on their ship. Um, and after three days, the situation was getting more and more tense. And so as the destroyer was actually, it was pulling the lifeboat behind it, and the destroyer is bobbing in the waves. The lifeboat is bouncing in the waves. And they say that, that um, the pirates have an AK-47 to Captain Phillips' head, right? And in one moment, three members of Navy, Teal, Navy SEAL Team 6 fire at the exact same time and instantly end the hostage situation as three pirates fall dead. And Captain Phillips is rescued. He's delivered, right? And a story like that, um, this, this amazing story of, of rescue, of, of, of being delivered, um, that's the kind of thing that has happened to you on an infinitely more serious plane than just you being held hostage by some pirates, right? You've been delivered from the domain that is called darkness. You've been rescued from that, from God's intervention, that has a reason to give him thanks. He delivered you from the domain of darkness, but thirdly, look at another reason to give him thanks. He's not only delivered you from the domain of darkness, but he transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. God didn't just get, it out, get us out of darkness and then say, oh good, I got you out of darkness. No, he, he takes us and he puts us into his kingdom. And it's the kingdom of his beloved son. You no longer belong to the domain of darkness, Christian. You, you have been transferred. You have a new citizenship. Uh, you have a new identity. And, and now you belong to the kingdom of God's beloved son. Speaking of his son, what do we have in Christ? Verse 14 ends our passage this way. In Christ, we have redemption. We have redemption. You want to know a really technical, fancy seminary definition for redemption? The forgiveness of sins. Paul defines it for you right there in the passage. What is redemption? There's the answer for you. Redemption is the forgiveness of sins. That's what the Father has given to you. That's a reason that you can be thankful even in the midst of, of, of you having to endure and have joyful patience. The Father has qualified you to share in an inheritance that is coming. Uh, the, the Father is the one who has rescued you, delivered you from darkness, and transferred you to the kingdom of his Son. And so as you endure and as you are joyfully patient, you can do that with thankfulness. So as we 
as we come to the end of this message, and we even start to think specifically about what, what can we do with this message, I, I want to start with that. Have, have, have you been qualified by God to share in the inheritance of light? Has, has he rescued you from the domain of darkness, or do you still belong there? Has he transferred you to the kingdom of his beloved son? Do you know that your sins have been forgiven? Do you know that you are redeemed? Because if, if you have not believed the good news about Jesus, that he, that he lived a perfect life, and he died a sacrificial death, and then he rose victoriously, then, then you actually don't have access to this kind of gospel living that has faith in Christ and, and has love for others. You actually don't have the ability uh, to know God's will. You won't have strength that comes from God to persevere apart from trusting in this great Jesus. So I want to ask you to search your heart this morning. Do you believe that Jesus lived for you perfectly and that he died in your place as your substitute and then he rose from the dead? And if you do, then you can have forgiveness of your sins. And if you've never trusted in Christ, today would be a great day for you to respond in faith to the good news of Jesus Christ. But if you, if you are a Christian this morning, you have responded in faith, what can we do with this section of Scripture? Well, um, going off the first point of gospel living, maybe you can ask yourself today, is my Christianity marked by faith in Jesus Christ and love for the saints? If those are supposed to be the two marks of a Christian, do I have those? Do I believe what God says and do I have love for the Christians around me? Because the gospel is supposed to cause those two hallmarks to be true of us. And if you consider and you say, I see deficiencies in my faith and my love, which really what we're saying is, I see unbelief and I see selfishness. Isn't that the opposite of, of faith and love? Unbelief and selfishness. If you, if you see those things in your life, then let the light of the gospel shine on that unbelief and that selfishness. Um, ask God for forgiveness and then turn to the gospel to give you the strength to have faith and love. So ask yourself today, am I marked by faith and love? Secondly, a possible application for you today um, is for you to show that you depend on God for spiritual growth, for knowledge, and for strength, right? Because if you agree that this is what Paul's trying to say in Colossians 1, 1 through 14, that God's the one who gives gospel living, God's the one who gives knowledge, God's the one who's giving, who gives us strength, then that should show itself in, in how you live, in, in, in your dependence. So does your attitude show that you depend on God for knowledge and for strength? Um, or are you kind of that self-made Christian? You're, you're self-dependent. I can do it on my own. Or does your attitude show, I, I have a dependent, humble attitude? How about your prayer life? Do, does your prayer life show that you think that knowledge, gospel, living, and strength, they come from God, and so you're going to ask him for it, right? Um, our prayer lives are one of the best gauges of whether we are dependent Christians or independent Christians, and so if this message is true, that God is where gospel living and knowledge and strength come from, a natural outflow of that will be that you will pray. All right? You'll pray. Prayer is the Christian declaration of dependence. So are, are you praying because you're convinced that, that gospel living and, and, and the, the knowledge you need to live your life and the strength you need to act on that knowledge, it can only come from God. All right? Um, two, two final thoughts for you when it comes to ways you can apply this message I want to encourage you to let thanks um, be a part of your prayer and even how you define prayer. Notice that Paul started with, we always thank God when we pray for you. Um, thankfulness ought to come to your mind when you think prayer. And I think a lot of times when we say the word prayer, we might immediately think ask. And I want to encourage you, when Paul says prayer, he just as often means thanks. 
All right? So let thankfulness be a part of how you pray and even how you define prayer. Um, And then lastly, um, you can use this passage as a way to pray for yourself and a way to pray for others. Right? This is really a model for us. When it comes to our prayer lives, you can look at this passage and you can see Paul, what he's asking for is, is that these believers be filled with the knowledge of his will. You can pray that for yourself, for your family, for your church family. You can pray that your church family would be strengthened with all power. Right? When someone brings up a prayer request or you see a prayer request that comes out on, on the prayer chain, um, this is a kind of passage you can pray. You, you read that somebody is suffering, you can pray that God will help them to have endurance and joyful patience. Right? That is a God-glorifying, helpful kind of prayer. So, so pray this way for yourself and pray this way for others. All right? it, is, it is really good news I have for you this morning that gospel living, knowledge, and strength come from God. It means that you can turn to God and away from your own self-effort. And so let, let prayer be your natural response to, to this message that you believe, that God is the one who gives those, these things. He gives gospel living. He gives knowledge. He, he gives strength. Therefore, we're going to be a praying people.